Welcome to the Mindset Neuroscience Podcast. I'm Stephanie Fay, and I'll be giving you science-based strategies on how to maximize the brain's learning potential by focusing on the power of mindset, relationship, and psychological safety. Thanks for listening. Welcome to episode 12. This is the last episode of season one. In this final episode, I just want to do an overview of really some key concepts that are related to teaching and inspiring the idea of growth mindset, which was a key focus of season one. And Some of this will be a little bit of a review of what we looked at, but just to kind of condense it into five key things to really think about as we attempt to help people maximize their learning and really reach their highest potential by understanding how powerful their minds are and how to maximize how much we really access the humanness of our brain and mind and how incredibly powerful that is. So that's what this episode is going to be about. Thanks for joining me. So a key term, a sentence really that will highlight what these five key things are about optimizing learning and inspiring learning kind of growth-oriented mindsets is that everything is relational. And really everything in the universe is relational in terms of what we are all made of and how it's completely unified in terms of being made of the same substance, if you will, and how connected everything is. But also from a human-to-human perspective, that virtually everything that has to do with us being truly human has to do with how we relate to others and all the different social connections that have been formed over our lives and the experiences that we've had. So the first key to thinking about inspiring growth mindset and learning is trust and authenticity. So that was covered in episode nine, but specifically what I think is really important to think about is that when we are, let's say, presenting the idea of growth mindset or any kind of training where we're trying to help people get into a mode of learning is that the most important thing to do in those situations is to really, really connect with people. And what we've seen from different studies, and we're actually even looking at in social neuroscience, we're looking at putting different electrodes and ways to measure brainwaves and frequencies and stuff. We're trying to actually now put that on people while they learn, while they're in different environments and see how, for example, something called neural synchrony happens and to measure if that actually has an effect on learning. And we are seeing that there is definitely some potential in that area of when people are synced up and they have some sense of neural synchrony, brainwave in phase harmony, that the learning is enhanced and they feel more connected and engaged in the classroom. And I'll include a few studies that have been done on that. Another piece that we are seeing just even in terms of overall happiness, there is a book that came out recently called The Blue Zones. And in it, he, the author talks about how how face-to-face connection, there's a high, high correlation between people's self-reports of being really happy and having smiled a lot and feeling a sense of joy in their day. And those tend to correlate higher with people who've had about seven hours of face-to-face connection with people they like, not just anybody, but people they actually like. And in education research, we see that likability of a teacher. So the student's feeling of closeness and whether they like the teacher or not is a fair 
fairly big predictor also of whether they retain content or not. So in line with that, also we're seeing that this idea of brain synchrony, neural synchrony has some type of power or association with the ability to retain content and accomplish goals as a team also. So that's the first thing to just be thinking about as we try to enhance our learning environments and our trainings to really focus on the idea of trust and authenticity and this human to human connection. That's a very big part of what allows us to access those areas of the brain that make us really human. So the second thing to be thinking about is not just to focus on the brain, that learning isn't just a brain-centered activity. As we have seen in multiple episodes, in particular episode four, where I talked about self-regulation, there is a sensory motor component to learning. It's a sensory motor biofeedback system that has to happen. So as I said in also episode nine, that when babies are learning, when you watch a baby learn, there's a huge component of sensory motor feedback in terms of how they learn language, how they learn to move, all of those things, even our social types of skills. All of this has a sensory motor component. There is a motor movement that occurs in the person that is perceived by another. And then the feedback that comes back lets us know it actually builds our brain. It's that serve and return relationship that Harvard Center for Developing Child talks about a lot. And not only that, but the movement and the actual attention that we have. So a level of joint attention is being seen in in social neuroscience research to be quite important in terms of learning and the closeness that we feel with others and the empathy that gets created, which then enhances learning. And we also see in organizational work that having a joint attention on a vision, so people being focused on the same type of vision and mission also really creates a sense of purpose within the organization and enhances learning and performance. So not just focusing on the brain, but focusing on that sensory motor component and also Chip and Dan Heath, they've also done some work on this idea of peak experiences and that that's a huge part of enhancing learning, that we will retain more and we will be able to apply it later in the long term when there's a peak experience as we learn. And so part of this peak experience is really a visceral, meaning that we feel it in our viscera, we feel it in our organs, the underlying layers of our skin is also an organ, and there's a strong sensory component to that, that we really feel what the learning is the sensations that it's creating in us as we learn. So we can call that emotions, but you know, as I said in episode four, feelings and emotions are slightly different. The feeling is a physiological sensation that we can get better at becoming aware of, and emotions are more the verbal label that we add to it. But even thinking about as we learned to ride a bike, or even as we learn to read or answer a math equation, there is a visceral sensation that happens as we have a level of mastery or we create a new connection. We even see that in those things called aha moments where we have, there's often some association with gamma brainwaves circuits that have never been connected before all of a sudden have a surge of connection and we can viscerally feel that in our bodies. So to think about in terms of learning that is not just about the brain, that it's a sensory motor biofeedback system. And so any time that we can add the senses and motor movement to learning will enhance it. So how can we add some movement? How can we add sensory experiences to learning is really important. The third is to be 
trying to gather data from as many different kinds of industries as possible when we're thinking about learning and that we as teachers and leaders need to be constantly in that mode of learning and going out of our comfort zone and gathering data from disciplines or subjects or topics that we're not really that familiar with so that we can regain that sense of being a little bit of a beginner, being self-conscious, maybe a little awkward, and then figuring out what it takes for us to get better at explaining something, to get better at applying it in our own lives. Because as we do that, we get better at being able to make it much more explicit and something that goes into our awareness so that we can then be able to explain it much better to somebody else. An analogy would be, you know, I used to be a French teacher, actually, and I learned French as a second language. And I had many co-workers who were born French speakers. And some comments that I got from a lot of the students was that they found it easier to learn French from me because I was I was had a much more explicit awareness of how to, for example, stop having an English R sound on my, my R's to how to change my accent so that it sounded more French. It didn't have the English kind of accent to it because I explicitly had to learn how to move my mouth and move, you know, different areas in new ways. And so part of the same idea is in terms of, let's say, adopting a growth mindset and let's say celebrating failure or mistakes. As I mentioned in episode nine on being more authentic as we teach growth mindset, we need to constantly be in that mode of learning. So one great way to do that is to get data, get information, look at research from areas completely unrelated to something that you're used to. So that's one way to do that. The fourth thing to think about is to not get so stuck on catchphrases and the quick tips. So one thing that I've seen is, for example, people getting really jazzed up about celebrate mistakes, celebrate mistakes. And the issue that we've seen with that is when people go at it from this idea of just gathering up the slogans or the activities or the how-to of teaching growth mindset, that, for example, if they go into celebrating mistakes, we see that sometimes people literally aren't learning and so they're adding, you know, I used, I think this is from either episode one or two, they're adding one plus one and getting three. The key there isn't to just continuously celebrate those mistakes, but that the teacher, the person that is leading needs to be able to make sure that people feel comfortable in failing and that that's just a starting point for additional learning and additional ideas, but to also be able to be aware of where the teaching might be going wrong or where how content is being presented might not be in a way that is resonating with that particular person and they might not actually understand what's being taught. They're not actually learning. So it's not only about celebrating mistakes. The growth mindset piece and the experimental piece is also about the teacher and how they pivot and how they refine and explore new ways to explain something or teach something. So not getting too caught up in just this idea of the how-tos and the things to do in terms of teaching growth mindset, but to be much more open to having it be a kind of just what you are doing in your own life so that when you notice that, for example, you're not understanding something, that there's probably another way that it can be explained or another something else you can do to get a better grasp of it. And the more you're open to that, the more you're going to be able to try new ways to explain something to somebody as you teach it or as you present growth mindset. It might resonate with many people, but there might be some pivots and refinements that you have to make. So it, just to 
you know, kind of reiterate again that the idea of growth mindset needs to be so internalized. It can't only be about the other person being convinced that they should have a growth mindset. But what are we doing in those moment to moment interactions as we teach, as we lead, as we interact with our coworkers? How are we very much modeling and reflecting the idea of being comfortable with making mistakes and being awkward? And how do we pivot from that? How do we grow from that? And then the last one is to not only be thinking about the content of what we're teaching. So I've mentioned in other podcast episodes and some articles that I do think it's very important to teach the science. I think that that's a really great way to help things be almost more tangible in some people's minds about how learning happens, that we can induce change in our brain by pushing ourselves and having moments of struggle and repetition also to have some form of patterned repetition to create a level of mastery for certain things. So that piece is important the content is important as we teach growth mindset and just to me learning in general I think it's important for people to at least be able to have a taste of what the science says but also that the conditions and the environment matter in learning environments and that there are certain things we can do that are really just going to maximize people's chance of learning and then there's things that will be happening in an environment that will minimize people's chance of learning so some of those things are one is for example the acoustic conditions in a learning environment they matter when and there is a lot of bass frequencies. So we talked about this a little bit in episode six, where we talked about sound, but bass frequency can have the effect of creating stress and anxiety. It can, you know, certain hertz, certain vibrations are going to open up basically the middle ear muscles, which makes it much harder to focus on human voice, makes people feel very distracted. And that again will depend on their own thresholds and the different sensory experiences they've had in their lives and developmental issues. But the acoustic conditions matter a lot. Other things that matter in the environment is if there is a lot of playfulness and human-to-human, face-to-face interaction. Those are things that are things we can create in a learning environment that really can help. And then just the ability to have moments of just connection where there is no evaluation necessarily happening, not necessarily a goal that's being created. That's another condition that can really help with that human to human connection piece and creating that level of neural synchrony. And then another piece that, and this comes from the innovation labs, is having the spaces where people are able to have as many ideas as possible and to generate the maximum number of ideas without anything being nayed, naysayed at any point. So this comes from design thinking is one example. In the ideation phase, they try to encourage brainstorming. So this can be for literally any topic we can think of, but to have some space for the people in whatever group that we're working in to be able to throw out ideas and put ideas out there and really to look for the maximum number of ideas possible. What they find is that when that is allowed to occur, the less efficient or effective ideas tend to just go lower, lower in the rankings naturally as the group continues to spit out ideas. And then the ones that seem to be favored by the group can rise and can play off of each other. So those are some things to think about as we try to promote this idea of learning mindsets, growth mindsets, that so much of this is relational, that the human to human piece is very important. So just a quick recap. Trust and authenticity is very important. That's the first component of trying to promote this idea of learning and growth mindset. 
connecting with people, not to control or change or convince them, but simply just to understand what how we're trying to connect. And that knowing that face-to-face, human-to-human, the biofeedback systems that are occurring, that alone and not having a defensiveness and evaluation and the defensiveness that comes from that, having moments of that in any learning environment will enhance learning. It will increase our ability to access the areas of our brain, the faculties of our mind that lead to the creativity and innovation and learning that we're looking for. And then the second piece I said was not just to focus on the brain, but to look at the sensory motor component of learning to create peak experiences that are visceral and sensory for people. The third was to constantly be learning and updating our own understandings of human behavior and learning, but to do so from subjects or topics or disciplines, if you want to call it that, that are outside of our normal zone so that we feel again what it's like to be a bit of a beginner and learning from scratch again. That creates and enhances our authenticity as we teach about learning. The fourth was to not get too stuck on the how-tos and the quick tips and the catchphrases that people love to share. And that's a very easy way to kind of give instructions about growth mindset, but to be thinking so much more about how much we experience the reality of something. So if someone is saying celebrate mistakes, do we experience the reality of that? Are we allowing that to be a part of our lives? And then what that often does is it shows us that it's not just this golden formula that sometimes we are making a mistake, but if we continuously make it, it might be because something else needs to be refined, not just feeling better about the mistake, but actually changing how we learn. So that helps us become better teachers and leaders. And then lastly, that conditions and environment matter too, that it's not only about mindset, that we can help maximize people's ability to learn by thinking about the conditions, the acoustic conditions, the social emotional conditions in a classroom, the ability to have these sensory experiences. So all of those things are an important part of mindset. It's not just something that we can teach in a very easy, quick five-step process, even though I talk about the five-step process, but that is something that is very much an experience. So to be thinking about the experience of learning in addition to the content, it's both, it's not an either or thing, it's both together. So I hoped you enjoyed the past 11 episodes and this one, and I'm really looking forward to sharing with you the new season. And again, if you have any questions, you can send that to info at stephaniefayfrank.com. And I have some new videos up. I'm going to be posting a couple more articles. So if you'd like to get any of that, as well as my growth mindset booklet, and I also have a surprise gift as a thank you for signing up, you can do that at stephaniefay.com. Thanks so much for joining me for season one. I really hope you found it helpful and useful. And I look forward to interacting and sharing with you again in season two. Thank you so much. For free resources and materials, including the Growth Mindset Goal Setting Booklet, head to my website at stephaniefayfrank.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and leave a review. 